How concerned should we be about false teachers? That's the question we're discussing today on The Hero of the Story, presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of Scripture. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me is Josh Hayes. Josh, guess what? What? What's what's that, Aaron? We are discussing one of the best passages of Scripture today ever, and I'm really excited about that. Oh, really? So we're definitely in something about ritual washings in Leviticus? Absolutely. 100%. No, we're talking about Jude today. Um. <laughs> oh, and you brought me in because I have firsthand experience in being a false teacher. Is that why, <laughs> is that why I'm a guest? Yeah, this is uh, this is an intervention, and uh, and I've been meaning to tell you that oh, you're great. Great so, place uh, to do it. it. We're here on the hero of the story to tell me how I'm not the hero of the story. Um, well, that's usually our point in every episode is to tell ourselves that we're not the heroes of this story. So. Right, right. So there's there's brand consistency here. Absolutely. I'll Absolutely. let you get us back on track, though. I, I keep I keep taking us down the dad joke path. Hey, that's no problem, man. Uh, listen, so yeah, we're talking about Jude today. Jude is a uh, is an epistle that I feel very deeply about. I uh, I have a deep passion for it. Um, it was one that I spent a lot of time camped out in. For a lot of years in my um, in my early years as a Christian, um, and uh, and have never lost my affinity for it and my appreciation of it, particularly with how it um, how it is immediately applicable to our time, um, but also in the ways that that we often miss what Jude is trying to say in it um, because of some particular emphases that we place upon it that may not actually be there. But um, how about before, so what we're going to do today is we're, of course, going to read and discuss this. But uh, before we do, how about you set up some context for the letter? Yeah, this letter has some interesting context, particularly because of Jude's relationship to Jesus. He's the brother of Jesus, came from the family of Mary and, and Joseph. And he's also the brother of, of James, the the author uh uh, of the epistle, or at least that's the common position uh, throughout history. And uh, James is also the leader of the church in Jerusalem. So uh, Jude has a strong pedigree in terms of his credentials to be a, a person of, of influence and wisdom uh, within within the early church, being Jesus' brother, James's brother as well. And largely, this this uh, letter has been appreciated throughout church history. Uh, there's been re- debate in recent years, as scholars do, in trying to determine who wrote. You know, if the if it's likely that the people traditionally uh, assigned to having written various books of the Bible actually wrote them, but uh, it seems seems to hold up that this is a claim uh, that Jude would be a historical figure that uh, plausibly uh, wrote, wrote this and, um, it, they has, have, uh, second Peter has experienced similar treatment to that. Um, there's similar content. So you know, there, there's speculation about what the relationship might be and what that means for the, for the authorship. But there, there's, there are arguments for it being, um, what's called a, uh, what's having a pseudonymous, uh, author. So a pseudonym is where somebody takes the name of some, uh, respected or, or uh, uh, person of authority, 
uh, and writes in their name so that it lends credibility to what they're that's writing. Right. That's, so, that's why I write under your name, Josh. Oh, well, great. Well, I, I need to go evaluate what you've been saying, but uh, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. So not not a common practice today. We would call that uh, uh, plagiarism, but it was. Uh, I thought that was, was ghostwriting. Oh, yeah, there's there's that, too. But uh, the first problem with this uh, notion that Jude could have a pseudonymous author, you know, somebody writing in his name, but not actually be him, uh, was that um, Jude wasn't uh, like a famous figure though we understand his pedigree today looking back tracing the relationships um he he what he wasn't a known authority uh in the church he wasn't this figure like like james was or peter was or paul was and so it wouldn't get you that far to write in his name and problem too is that the the early church typically rejected um letters writings that were either uh, pseudonymous or anonymous uh, with Hebrews being the, 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 being the exception to that. But, uh, but there was no evidence that unless an, a letter was somehow connected to an apostle or an associate of the apostle, like you think of Mark being something yeah. of Peter's secretary. And then you think of the other apostles who contributed uh, books to the, to the new Testament uh, there, there's not much precedent for a book like this being accepted as authoritative in the early church and, uh, and, and on some level being regarded as script as scripture as it, as it would be when it, um, it makes the, the, the standard canon list that, that we, that we see some of the shorter books like it and second, third John, uh, that the, they were disputed, but they eventually were, were, were accepted because of, uh, the belief that they had some sort of origin to the original group of the apostles and, and, and their associates. So we don't want to be dismissive of all these considerations, but we, we need to be, we need to be thoughtful, considerate, critical in our evaluation of who, who wrote these, these, these books, but the traditional position uh, seems to hold up, seems to cooperate with, with Jude's context and doesn't, doesn't really merit. It doesn't really merit much to, to speculate that someone else wrote it than, than the person uh, after whom it's it, it's titled so the the main purpose that we that we can get out so sorting through all these all this historical um, speculation and 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 discussion is that the letter was written to encourage uh, Jude's hearers at, and 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 in doing that it has one uh, sort of ultimate goal and that's to protect the church from the effects of false teaching they were a present reality even in the first centuries, we see that well documented throughout the throughout the New Testament. So there, there's no good old days. We trace Jude back to the late first century, and uh, there wasn't even good old days then. During the, the time of the apostles, they were still contending with with false teaching that was out there and how that was uh, affecting the the church's behavior. That's right. That's right. So, um, but you know, th one of the things that I appreciate just in in researching the background of, of letters and learning about uh, uh, pseudonymous writings and things like that, which generally were an accepted practice within within you know within that cult, not necessarily the the, the Jewish culture, but within the broader uh, Roman culture. Right. Um, is is just that it shows the that how the early church was were sticklers for honesty. Yeah, and point. and and so I just appreciate that. That actually is, and that's important because, as we're gonna see in in Jude, um, 
honesty and co- our conduct actually actually relates very strongly to true and false teaching. So yeah, so wouldn't it be ironic if a letter <laughs> that was said to be from a person commended, you know, virtue, integrity, honesty, same similar with Second Peter and those arguments. So it's commending these things while not necessarily practicing them. Uh, and, and so, anyways, just a funny note um, I wanted to add there. Yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, let's let's jump in. We're gonna read the whole letter of Jude because it's twenty five verses, and uh, and so those are that's a nice and easy, uh, easy one for us. So um, and it will be an easy one for all of you as well if you are uh, a little bit behind on your Bible reading. So <laughs> so uh, enjoy. So Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. To those who are the called, loved by God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. For some people who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They are ungodly turning the grace of our God into sensuality and denying Jesus Christ, our only master and Lord. Now, I want to remind you, although you came to know all these things once and for all, uh, that Jesus saved a people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not keep their own position but abandoned their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains in deep darkness for the judgment of are on the great day. Likewise, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns committed sexual immorality and perversions and serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. In the same way, these people, relying on their dreams, defile their flesh, reject authority, and slander glorious ones. Yet, when Michael the archangel was disputing with the devil in an argument about Moses' body, he did not dare utter a slander in condom, uh, slanderous condemnation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme anything they don't understand, and what they do understand by instinct, like like irrational animals, by these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, have plunged into Balaam's error for profit, and have perished in Korah's rebellion. These people are dangerous reefs at your love's love feasts as they eat with you without reverence they are shepherds who only look after themselves they are waterless clouds carried along by winds trees in late autumn fruitless twice dead and uprooted they are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shameful deeds wandering stars for whom the blackness of darkness is reserved forever. It was about all these that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, look, the Lord comes with tens of thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly concerning all the ungodly acts they have done in an ungodly way and concerning all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. 
These people are discontented grumblers, living according to their own desires. Their mouths utter arrogant words, flattering people for their own advantage. But you, dear friends, remember what was predicted by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They told you in the end times there will be scoffers living according to their own ungodly desires. These people create divisions and are worldly, not having the Spirit. But you, dear friends... As you build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Have mercy on those who waver. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others, but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through our Lord, uh, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before and all time now and forever. Amen. That's good stuff right there. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot there. Jude packed in a lot uh, with, uh, with only a, you know, little amount of words. Absolutely. But uh, so let's, uh, let's see if we can do likewise. And, uh, yeah, and <laughs> that's the real challenge. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So Josh, what do we need to, what kind of questions should we be asking about this letter? Off the top. And since this is, this is an emphasis of our session and the gospel project curriculum is the contending for the faith. So what does it mean to contend for the faith is verse three, uh, mentions, this is a common verse that people use to, uh, give a basis for the practice of apologetics. And while the practice of apologetics is, is fine and good and is a good help for Christians to grow in their confidence in the truth of, of, of the gospel and scripture of God's existence and, and, and so forth, and it can be used in, a, in, a, in the context of evangelism to um, dissuade people from bad arguments against the faith, this is not primarily what Jude is talking about. He's more talking about contending for the truth in the in the face of false teachers who have crept into the uh into into churches who have who are influencing the churches who have a certain position in the church and influence on on others uh within within the church so it's it's more about the place for uh theological debate within the church what's called polemics in order to affirm and hold on to a, a true and biblical understanding of what, what the faith is according to the, the gospel that was given to the church by Jesus and, and the apostles. So this, this is the best way to understand contending for the faith is it's a commitment to faithfulness as we've received the authorized message of Jesus and the apostles in the form of the gospel. That is a, gr- a great note to, uh, to bring up because to, con- to be wholly committed to faithfulness um, you know, it has obviously it has that 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 debate stance to some degree, but to be committed to faithfulness doesn't simply mean um, being able to have arguments, um, polemical or otherwise, um, about what we believe. Right. It's about how we conduct our conduct as well. So, and that really leads into the into the next question, which is uh, when Jude says that that these false teachers 
uh, um, came into the church by stealth, or other translations describe them as having um, having crept in unawares. Yeah, in, yeah, yeah. Um, which is 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 a great. It's like you just kind of want to imagine these sneaky ninjas. Um, <laughs> yeah, when you're thinking, yeah, creeping. You think of ninjas for some reason. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So ninjas came into the church, and oh. uh, and and so how how is this even possible? And one of the things that that we need to recognize here is is that that there's something about and i don't know if it's because of the pop culture that we have all imbibed um in north america over the last let's say 50 60 years but there's this tendency to think when you hear false teacher to think about um, them as like a mustache twirling villain, like a Dirk Dastardly in Wacky Races, um, that awful Hanna-Barbera cartoon from the 70s. Um, or, you know, or to have such obvious clues like, um, Josh, did you ever watch the Bumblebee movie with your with your kids? I haven't watched the, the Bumblebee movie, but I am familiar with Transformers from the 80s. And okay, there you go. Okay, so... Movies, if I can talk negatively of those. It's but. fine. You can always talk negatively about those. But uh, in this in this, this kind of soft reboot slash prequel that they did uh, a couple of years back... Right. Um, there's just this great moment um, in it where the U.S. government has uh, had their first contact with any of the Transformers, and of course, it's with the Decepticons. And so they're they're expl- the Decepticons have told them all about this, you know, all about this great war on Cybertron and the evil Autobots and stuff like that. John Senna has this great delivery uh, moment where he's he's like, guys. The, can, can you not see that the, that they're the bad guys? I mean, think about it. The name is Decepticons. It's in the. It's literally in the name. <laughs> <laughs> and we want to think about we we want to think about um, false teachers uh, like that too. So either they've got a a, a twirly mustache that they that they uh, and are like so greasy and obviously weaselly. Um, that they can't not be evil, or that their name is, um, you know, Batty McBatterson. <laughs> False teachers are not that obvious. They don't have t-shirts that say Decepticons. They don't. They're well. I mean, sometimes they do, but uh, but so do that, a lot of us. So yeah, it's funny that you bring up John Cena because you're saying that the. Uh, that the deceivers, the false teachers are not obvious, so you can't see them. You know, the that's John right. Cena that's says, right. Exactly. See me. Exactly. Well, that's what we're talking about. See, <laughs> got to work in a pop culture pun. Well done. Uh, this has been, my, this, my there's been nothing but pop culture right now, but, right, right. Um, and this is going to pay off a little bit later too, but um, false teachers are a lot savvier than, than we want to give them credit for. Mm-hmm. And, um, and not just in the sense that, um, they can that false teachers can 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 sneak in, creep in, arrive by stealth um, a lot easier than we think. But we can all individually be hoodwinked by them a lot easier than we think. Because here's the thing: a lot of false teachers look like genuine believers and teachers do. Hmm to a point or at first they also say 
much of what genuine believers and teachers do. Again, to a point. And so they will, so what a false teacher can do, how a false teacher comes in by stealth is by looking like one of us. And so they build trust, they build loyalty, they build influence, they ultimately build themselves up even um, as they are co-opting the gospel for their agenda. And we don't see it as easily as we would like to think that we would. Right. And, and it, takes, it takes time to sh- for them to show their falsehood, and it can be gradations of uh, deception and, and exactly false that they embrace over time. And then it's really, it may not be to the point where you can recognize it or even to the point where you need to call it out. It could just be there. They have some unhealthy tendencies at first. They get exacerbated over time for whatever reason, whatever is holding their interest in this, this, this bad tendency, this, this mistruth that they're, that they're holding yeah. with regard to the gospel. Yeah. So I think you're making a great point of how, how realistic how it looks like in real time and space that this, this, this pattern of, of false teachers. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll come back. I'm going to make, I'm going to drop a real quick big statement here and then we're going to come back to it in, in a little bit. But uh, so we're just going to leave it hanging and then we're going to go on to the next question and then we'll come back to it. Okay. But um, it is entirely possible for someone to be, doctrinally orthodox in their teaching and still be a false teacher. Mm. We'll get to why in a second. But Josh, next question. How should we understand this this very strange reference that Jude makes to a dude named Enoch that he seems to be, he's has caused a lot of confusion for people. Yeah, sure, sure. And first Enoch, if you ever look at it, it can be a confusing book to us. There's a lot of apocalyptic elements, some sort of epic narratival presentation that we're not used to in our, our modern writings outside of whatever exposure we might have to, to biblical writings, writings of, from, from that era. So mm-hmm. it can seem bizarre and out of place for him to quote from a book like this. And we're, we're accustomed to seeing the New Testament authors quote from the Old Testament. That makes sense to us because they see that as scripture. The church down through the ages has seen that as scripture. And so, yeah, of course they're going to, to support their arguments, go to something that has authoritative inspired status from God. But why would someone like Jude quote a book like first Enoch that historically hasn't been recognized as scripture by Jews or, or Christians. And some will sometimes point to this as uh, grounds for establishing the uh, canonicity, the authority of the Apocrypha as being some, you know, scripture on some level, but actually first Enoch is not in the Apocrypha. It's in the pseudepigraphal right. writing. So that's always a good historical note. So right. And before we go further, can you yes. explain those, what those two the mean term. for our audience? Yeah. Well, the, the Apocryphal writings, you know, Apocrypha means something that's not hidden. It's not, or it is hidden. It's not out front. So Apocryphal, uh, when you refer to something as that, it's these things that aren't uh, held out front with everything else. They're, they're not in the main. And so uh, Roman Catholics and other traditions they might recognize the canonicity or the, 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 the authority of those, uh, the, those books. They still uh, put them on a, on a different level or different status. They're, they're not seen as being on, on par with the uh, traditional 
what we see as 39 books of the of the, of the old testament and 27 of the new so they even designate a, a different level of authority though they still see them as as, as scripture mm-hmm. um and so uh, like i said first enoch is not included in in those but those are those are a set of uh, books you might have you, you might have heard heard of i'm trying to think of a few few um of the um first the and second words. maccabees maccabees was about to come to mind that that's that that's always there uh bell and the dragon there's a uh, longer ending to um ezra uh there's uh judith as uh, is, is another one ecclesiasticus um, ecclesiasticus that's a, that's another one to, to to mention so there's about 14 total books sometimes it's divided into 12 uh with it with the apocrypha uh but uh this, enoch is not found among those first or second enoch uh but that that's the apocrypha these these books that developed in between the times of what have been regarded as the old testament writings and the new testament writings they're jewish writings a lot of them or if not most of them were uh, originally written in greek and when you look at kind of mainstream judaism you know, you know pharisees uh were, would have been the mainstream sort of uh movement uh, of judaism by jesus day they didn't they didn't regard the apocrypha as authoritative now pseudepigrapha is a different story it's these aren't attached to any one group and i have more um not come in as a set but just various writings that have kind of trickled in as being historic writings that relate to uh, a lot of the religious thought that was in uh judaism of that sort of inter what we call the intertestamental period between the the writing of the old and the and the new testaments and and so there's 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 some I'd say uh, more uh, out there uh, books among uh, that 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 collection. You have like the the Book of Adam and Eve, uh, for instance, is, is one that comes off the comes off the top of my head, and uh, the, the Book of Enoch, and there there are several others that off the top of my head I I, I can't I can't recall, but uh, those are those are two categories of of ancient texts. That were very much in the in the in the milieu and the um, the thought processes of people writing uh, in religious context of, of this era when Jude would have been writing. So this would have been something that the audience, uh, anybody with connection to Judaism uh, around that time, they would have they would have been aware of these writings, even if they weren't even if they were mm-hmm. illiterate, they would have been exposed maybe to uh, oral tellings of these or conversations about these about what's contained you see jude reference events that are described in the in in the book of first enoch for instance and so it's important just to know that just as we have literature outside the bible in existence today that we will reference and sometimes even quote or cite we don't we don't invest authority in them not on the same level as scripture anyway and so it was the same in the first century when they're referencing other religious writings you can go into any christian bookstore and we're not going to say all books are equally good though we might quote from some and others some we might use as bad examples some we might use for for good examples of of true teaching and so the early church was doing the same thing with the the, what was in the milieu of of, of literature there and it's what we have in the case of jude and his references to things and first enoch yeah there, so there. So what you what we've heard is that our references to Transformers movies are not equally inspired with scripture. Yeah, that's, 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 that's my that's, that's my takeaway. Take that. Takeaway, yeah, that's All the right. most important takeaway. Yeah, right. So, 
So um, along with that, of course, um, you know, just again to to reiterate, um, is there anything wrong with reading reading those those non canonical works? There's nothing wrong with being exposed to them. Just like there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with reading uh, re- reading the Lord of the Rings <laughs> or yeah. reading or dare I say Harry Potter. I know that's used to be controversial in some circles. I think that that's finally gone I mean, away. I mean, but, some of our some of our listeners may be uncomfortable, and if you are, then obey your conscience. Yeah, that's and that's fine. But uh, but nonetheless, even by referencing them, we're not giving them any sort of uh, authority status that's on par with, with, with scripture, or or it's not forbidden to read them because it's going to automatically corrupt you and turn you away from um, from the gospel. Yeah, not at all. If anything, um, when it comes to the apocrypha and the and uh, the pseudographica, um, one thing that it can do is is it can just simply help you have some insights into into their thinking, which right, right. you already you already addressed very well. It's just always helpful to reiterate uh, right, right. stuff like this sometimes. Yeah, it's part of historical context and background. That's, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. Yep. So that that one comment that I made earlier before we started talking about uh, First Enoch and its place in all of this, that you can be doctrinally orthodox in your teaching, but right. not but and still be a false teacher based on your conduct. That plays in that leads into this question, which is what are the signs of a false teacher? And the reason and so the reason that leads into it is, is because we have to recognize that there are, in fact, um, a minimum of two forms of false teaching. There is um, there's false teaching in the sense of the content of our teaching. That is the type that we most clear that we most uh, frequently and clearly emphasize within um, within modern evangelical circles. Really, um, so think about um, you know. So if someone starts talking about uh, if someone starts proclaiming a a gospel of universalism, so that everyone is already saved, and the only point of evangelism is to let them know right. that they've already been saved, but they'll get there eventually, um, that is that's heresy, um, and that's wrong to t- to teach that. Um, if you are denying the Trinity um, in any way, shape, or form, uh, that is heresy. Even if it's unintentional, it's still heresy. So, sidebar for today, um, as our usual hobby horse, um, is kids ministry people. If you are listening to this, please, for the love of everything good and holy, do not use any kind of object lesson when teaching about the Trinity. It doesn't work because it all ends up being heresy. And if we love our kids, and we do, even though an object lesson can make something that's really complex easier to understand, it doesn't actually make it easier to understand in this instance because there's nothing like the Trinity. So we don't want to do that. It gives an understanding of a false conceptualization of the Trinity is all it does. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It can be memorable. It can feel better you can feel more resolved but yeah just living in that tension that is the mystery of the orthodox truths you know how does jesus exist as one person and two nature we don't know how we just affirm that it is because that's what's been revealed the same with god being one being who 
exists in three persons. How is that possible? We don't know. We just affirm that it is because that's what's been revealed in scripture and the three persons being identified with the one true God, Yahweh. Yes. Uh, there's our little sidebar poly, uh, apologetic, polemic, whatever you want to call it. Uh, A little bit of both. I get bad analogies and object lessons for the Trinity. Another point I was going to mention about uh, heresy there we, we can also think of heresy like the the word refers refers to teaching that's an error so there's little h heresy and there's capital h heresy so yes when you're when you're embracing something like an historic heresy in the church where whether it be pelagianism arianism uh modalism anything like that and we can't go into what each of those are just for time's sake but when you knowingly receive those and then want to advance them and, and promote them in the church to other people and gain traction and following that's when you are an active heresy with the, you're an active heretic with a capital H you are teaching heresy with a capital H yes because you're, you're trying to undermine truths with the capital T and that such as the deity and humanity of Christ the uh, equal the, the the equal uh the the Son, Father, and Spirit have an equal uh, nature as God. Uh, so th those sort of things where you're denying these core doctrines of the faith, that's that's heresy with a capital H. But then there's little h heresy where sometimes it can be unintended uh, heresy. You're, you're espousing something you don't, you aren't as aware of as being wrong, uh, but you're also not intentionally trying to gain a following. You're just trying to dispense what you think might be true. Right. And like, so one of those, there's actually an example that came up in our notes, um, even, uh, today, um, as we were preparing for this episode, and it was something that you called me on. Um, and it was, and it was just an accidental, oh. it was just an accidental goof. It was, um, because there is a shorthand that people use, uh, in evangelical circles, uh, to typically refer to any of Jesus's siblings as half siblings, um, which, um, uh, in a certain respect is kind of sort of true, but really isn't, um, because, um, and you, and you made the, you made a good, you made the good, the right call and said, Hey, we should not do that. Um, oh. because why did you, why did you say we should not do that, Josh? Well, I wasn't even trying to point it out for, uh, you know, illustration in this episode. I was, I was, uh, didn't think we, we would go there, but I pointed out that the call, uh, Jude, a half brother of Jesus, makes us think of God the Father as sort of the real paternal biological parent of Jesus, with his human mother being Mary. When that's not actually the case, Jesus is not the biological son of the Father. He's uh, he's the divine son of the Father from eternity. There's always the always been the Father and Son relation within the within the Trinity, along with the Spirit. Uh, and so he's the son of God. He's also the son of God incarnate. He's begotten of the spirit within Mary. And then he has a newly created human nature that then is put in union with his uh, person. And so uh, he is fully brothers with uh, Mary, just as we would consider anybody of the same household, fully brothers with someone they have this, this have the same uh, mother. And then he belonged to the same household as Joseph, even though J Joseph didn't contribute his part in normal uh, yeah. human conception. Uh, but, you know, it's a mystery about how Jesus' human nature was created and how uh, he uh, derives his ancestry from Mary and her line. But if you look at the genealogies, he seemed to have a, a share in Joseph and Mary's lineages. Uh, there's, there's no... Uh, 
there's no hesitation to embrace that. Yeah. You look at Matthew's genealogy, Luke's genealogy. Uh, and so, so we don't want to, uh, we don't want to give the impression that they're, they're only half brothers because one, it has bad implications for how we view family and being full fledged brothers and sisters um, in terms of households. And then also, uh, and also we don't want to give this idea that, well, God, the father is the real biological father of, of Jesus as a human. No, no, that's, that's, that's wrong as well. Yes. Uh, God doesn't procreate. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Exactly. So I might've said more than you, you admit to, but I was trying to uh, gather, <laughs> gather back in my head what exactly I did. I did say in my, uh, my note to you. No, it's great. This is, this is what we do. This is what we do though. This is how we help one each other, help each other to not be, uh, to not, uh, to be, or to be faithful in our, in, in what we say and do in our in our in the content of our teaching is we correct each other in that so uh we're giving so listeners we're already giving you a little preview of what it looks like um to to do this in a in a merciful merciful and kind way as as uh as josh uncomfortably unpacks what he did (laughs) but um (laughs) more uh, more surprised and caught off guard that we would even go into that today Well, sometimes it's fun to do that. Yeah, it's good to be off the cuff, and it shows real life application in our own jobs of absolutely of of Jude and uh, what's what's talked about in Jude in terms of false teaching. Yeah, that's right. Um, So, yeah, so so let's keep so let's keep going though. So that's one little piece of it. That's that that little that's that little H unintentional often um, types types of things. Um, So. You can be a false teacher in the content of your teaching. You can also be a false teacher in the conduct of your lifestyle. And um, this is where Jude is especially concerned. If you if you recall back to the letter as I was reading it, you'll notice that um, repeatedly he keeps talking about actions. He was talking about the sexual immorality in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he was talking about... and. Um, um, behaviors that are that are hidden in darkness and arrogant words and living according to their desires and being disgruntled uh, discontented grumblers um, on and on and on and on he went um, and there is a there is and it's very important that we that we recognize that that um, that there is a a very practical way in which people can be false teachers and it's and a lot of it comes down to failing to practice what we preach um it's also in so we say one thing but we do another and we do it consistently and we do it knowingly um so there's a there is the the reality of just sinful error that happens in our lives that isn't isn't intentionally sinful but it still ends up being sinful in a sense um but there's the knowing, willful. I am going to preach this thing while doing something else. Um, the good for good, good for thee, but not for me, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, that's false teaching. Um, that's what the Pharisees did. That's what Jesus said in Matthew Matthew twenty three three, if I remember correctly, with my reference there. Um, it's either twenty two three or twenty three three, one of the two. So. Um, 
So this is me and my me and my my poor attempts at being humble to say I could be wrong about the reference, but not the point. You talking about the woes uh, to the Pharisees? Is that what you're talking about? Well, when he says a little bit later, he says, um, "Do what they uh, do, what they say. Like listen to what they teach, but okay, don't yeah. don't follow their example, right? Because they what they teach, they don't do, right? I think that's Matthew 23. I think you're right. Yeah. So there we go. Um, so that's an that's an example. But there's other kinds of this too. It's people who use the pulpit as a means of of, uh, of gaining a reputation, um, of gaining influence, of gaining a kind of weird fame. Um, people who um, use the name the church to make a name for themselves are false teachers. And there's a difference between. And I'm going to be careful here. There's a difference between someone becoming well-known because of their teaching and someone who is pursuing it. Those are different things. So a Charles Spurgeon was well-known because of his teaching. He wasn't su- he wasn't going out and making himself wasn't going on tour. Um, as a general rule of thumb, if you put your face on a tour bus, you're you're probably in this category. So, um, so if you're listening to this and you did that, sorry, and please come to Jesus. Um, but uh, anyway, um, there's another there's another kind though too. Um, it's people who crave controversy and routinely bring about so so discord and division. Those are false teachers too. And they do it, and here's the worst thing. They do it in the name of, uh, very often, they do it in the name of defending the church and defending the gospel itself. Yeah. That's not okay. Yeah, there's always money to be made in writing books and producing podcasts that that when their success is predicated on when you get people to hate each other, when you get people to fight. And so there, there, there's a whole business in, in that. Whereas you can see in Jude, you have a good model of he is even reticent to comment on the false teaching because he is wanting unity in the church where he said, you know, he was eager to write about their common salvation, but because of the pressing need to address the false teaching, that, that's why he addressed it. But that wasn't his first instinct, wasn't to go, fi- you know, find a battle to fight. It was more, well, in order to have unity in the truth, I'm going to have to address the 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 false teacher's influence on the church presently. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that leads to the next question, which is how should we respond to false teaching and false teachers? Well, perhaps counterintuitively you have later on in Jude, the uh, verse that reads that we should, should we should show mercy to those who doubt. So that oftentimes that's not the heart behind uh, people who want to address what they feel is, is false teaching. It's not restoration, reconciliation, trying to get the false teachers, you know, grounded in the truth so that they would come out of, of their wavered ways, as, as it were. Uh, but our disposition should be toward reconciliation, restoration always. That's why church discipline exists in, in, in the New Testament. It's It's not to that we gleefully put people out, but so that they might see the severity of their sin and come back into the, into the fold and no longer be a wolf, but a, but a sheep uh, and following Jesus. So the response uh, to false teaching is that we want to absolutely reject the teaching itself in terms of its content, but we want to earnestly plea 
for the false teacher to repent. We want repentance. We won't reject the teaching, but we want repentance from uh, the teacher. Uh, they, but it's one of those things like when you have a, uh, an, an organ or a limb infected uh, and, and the infection is going to, you know, continue to thrive and could uh, affect the overall well-being of the entire body. Sometimes you have to saw off that limb. Uh, that's not something you, you would do flippantly. Uh, you would want to do prematurely. Uh, you would want to treat with whatever medicine you could to stop the infection. But when you have a deadly infection, sometimes uh, you got to saw off certain members or digits or, or, or you know, um, eliminate certain organs that may not be necessary, that, that sort of thing. So we should have that sort of uh, weighty disposition toward handling false teachers that sometimes it, it's, it's necessarily to put them out so they don't harm the rest of the body that is the, is the, is the church. And as you mentioned, Aaron, they come in a lot of forms. Uh, false teaching can come in a lot of different packages and false teachers can blend in through, through various ways. But one word of caution we want to put out there is that if you think that someone is a false teacher, be really careful and really certain that, that that is in fact the case. And it would probably be something you want to discuss with others first before going out of your way to accuse them. And especially if, you're, if there's any sort of public uh, confrontation to it. And also that could be playing into the, the false teacher's hands who wants to stir up controversy. Uh, so there, there's a way to do this in a godly, humble way. This is where Jesus' instruction in Matthew 18 comes into play, where if someone offends you, sins against you, go to go to them privately. They won't heed you. Go with another uh, bro brother or sister or two uh, to establish your testimony uh, against them. So there, there's a godly way. You're not trying to keep anything hidden, but also you're not you're not trying to make the controversy explode more more than it more than it needs to so yeah when you meet with them call them to repentance and then pray for them pray with them and uh pursue uh holiness yourself but also you know encourage them to pursue holiness and think about the ways that they are leading their their life and how they're affecting the church for the worse in the and the, as they have been and as they have been, as they are doing in the meantime yeah, and and that's so that's one of one of our key responses. Another another response, um, as like all under this broad category of mercy, is um, you know it, it goes along with this, which is um, in our personal response for how we individually respond. Is our our need is to proactively pursue godliness, mm -hmm. and so. Um, we need to um, we need to do a, we need to do a couple of key things. Um, uh, Paul wrote in um, one of his epistles that we are to we are to watch our lives and doctrine closely. Right. Um, and so that means that we have relationships with with others who can watch that with us as well. Um, we have people who can speak into our lives and see where we fall short. We can uh, develop and cultivate a healthy. Um, God honoring self-awareness to see where we fall short of God's standards in our conduct and in our teaching um, and in our character, of course, as well. Mm -hmm. um, and we can, um, uh, and so we can, uh, we can call ourselves to repentance. <laughs> we can, we, and we can and need to be praying and pursuing humility with the Spirit's help uh, intentionally focusing our time in the word 
um, and also and also practicing what what it is that it makes a day like a, a genuine Christian life, pursuing a quiet life of love for God and love for neighbors wherever He has placed us, without so without grumbling, without complaining, without deceit, um, without any sort of salacious behavior. Um, but just pursuing, pursuing God ultimately. Right. Right. And then there's the last piece of it, of course, as well, which is, um, our friends who may be caught up in false teaching. Um, and that this, again, this goes, this goes into mercy, this mercy again, you see that, um, uh, that in, at the end of, end of his letter, Jude says, show mercy in a couple of different ways, um, you know, to those who are, you know, to those who are, who are, who are wavering or doubting. Um, he, he says, um, to, he says explicitly show mercy to them, to those who are caught up in false, uh, false teaching or false conduct. Um, it is, he says the same thing. He says to show mercy, but he does it in a different way. And um, uh, and those who are propagating false teaching, it's even show mercy as well. But but hating the garments that uh, that they wear, um, basically don't let don't let what they're doing cause you to sin too. Right. <laughs> in other words, is essentially what he's saying. So in all of these, um, there is a there's a different kind of approach that you need to take to each one. So someone who is struggling and doubting and uncertain about, about something or has a very tender conscience, you don't need to come, you don't need to come at them and act like a hammer when what they, what they, what they actually need is for you to, for you to as uncomfortable as this is in, is in our, our new, our bold new times is to maybe, maybe put your arm around them or hold their hand. Yeah. And say, hey, don't go this. Don't don't do this. This is not the way to go. Um, yeah, and and instead, asking, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, but just asking people asking healthy but difficult questions about the faith, about core doctrines, about the trustworthiness of Scripture. That doesn't mean they're a false teacher to raise those questions, and it doesn't even mean that they're necessarily doubting. They're just wanting to know how should we think about this and yeah. why. Why do people believe this doctrine, or why do they trust the Bible when um, critics of the Bible say this? And there's 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 different questions that are legitimate in themselves. Now they can be used as objections to justify someone's unbelief and antagonism toward uh, the truth of the Christian faith, and to justify uh, their uh, their whatever sort of lifestyle they want to yeah. leave and their, their rejection of, of Christianity. But so there can be bad reasons to use good questions and, 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 and actual uh, difficult things that are difficult to understand that are related to Christian truth. But just because someone raises questions or asks questions, that doesn't mean we should flag them as a heretic or uh, someone who's going to, uh, go away from the faith or lead others away from the faith. That's where this instruction to be patient and to ha- show mercy to those who waver, as you, as you mentioned, that comes late in the, 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 the letter in Jude here, that's where that falls into place because that's not the same thing as someone who is actively in a constructive 
in deliberate way trying to lead people to a to a new and different kind of teaching that's that's yeah. that opposes the gospel. All right, Josh, just to uh to wrap this up, um, since we've gone significantly longer than we planned um for such a short letter. Um, <laughs> um yeah, but uh, but listeners, I hope you found it found it helpful and at least somewhat interesting. Um I've certainly certainly enjoyed it uh so far, but um Let's just let's just finish with one last thought here, um, which I'm going to hand over to you, which um, we've covered a lot of inter- of guidance that we can offer in discipling others as we've gone through this. But uh, what's one last thing that we might be able to say that'd be helpful? Well, it shows the ongoing relevance of, of Scripture that it still applies in our, our day and age because there's always been false teaching. As we mentioned earlier, there's no good old days when there was no false teaching. Most of the New Testament is written, or a lot of it, I should say, is written in response to, to false teaching or behavioral moral problems in the in the churches. And so Jude is one of the timeliest books in the New Testament for our specific age our our generation as you were mentioning especially when people are so prone to be bold in their pronouncements pronouncements and accusations these days this even though it's addressing something serious and sobering like false teaching that 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 does affect people's spiritual status and spiritual condition uh, nonetheless there's this disposition in jude that wants peace and unity and reconciliation that, that you see come through in his his pleas and his uh, reasoning through uh, the effects of, of sin and false teaching. And so Jude is short is one way to put it, but we need it. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's inspired this much conversation, something that takes, you know, barely five minutes to read. If that uh, can inspire this much conversation, it shows that it's a, it's a rich, uh, it's a rich piece of literature with a lot of implications and applications. And so the threats of false teaching are always present and real, no matter what era in which we live. And uh, they're not what we often think they are. The, the biggest threats aren't. And so um, we can, with lip service, often affirm what's doctrinally orthodox from a, you know, whether it be Christian, Protestant, or evangelical standpoint, or from the standpoint of our own specific denominations and, and traditions. That can, That's easy to attain. You know, people can give... Uh, lip service to that and can and can fall in line with, with with that but we need to be mindful of how character and conduct also also play a role as you mentioned paul warns uh timothy to watch your life and your, and your doctrine they're, they're they're tied up together and so with orthodoxy there should also be orthopraxy right belief should read to right living right practice and so that, that that's the harder part is connecting ourselves to the truth and then having the truth flow in us and through us to where we lead a life that is honoring to God, that that's, that's doxological where we are giving praise to God by the very way that we way that we live, because we've made the truth of who he is and how he's acted for us uh, in Christ to, to save us from sin. And so that we can have communion with him as the triune God uh, forever, permanently, securely, uh, that needs to influence and affect all all that we all that we do and say. But it's really easy just to make that that head knowledge, as it were. It's really easy just to make that the formulas that we recite and say and teach, but not uh, let it resonate in our hearts as, as it should. And that takes time and patience, and it it takes mercy to use a theme word from today. It takes mercy both 
uh, toward ourselves and toward others in terms of working that into the warp and woof of who and what we are as human beings and most most particularly as Christians. All right. And uh, we're now going to have mercy on our listeners and, uh, and say thank you all for hanging out with us today. Uh, and Josh, thank you for, for chatting about this. If you all enjoyed this episode, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com. <laughs>